Welcome to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose, to create a better life for all residents of the St. Louis region and Missouri. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression that work within us individually, within our organization, and within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. Today, our guests are Richard Von Glan, Policy Director for Missouri Jobs with Justice, and Sydney D. Watson, the Bruce and Jane Roberts Professor of Law Director, Center for Health Law Studies at St. Louis University School of Law. And today we're going to be revisiting once again, Missouri Medicaid expansion. The issue was approved by the voters, ignored by the legislature, abandoned by the governor, stopped by a lower court, and then finally affirmed by the state Supreme Court. So today we're gonna talk about where do we stand. So let's just start with the basics. Uh, Start with a reminder of what is Medicaid expansion and who will benefit from this expansion. Sure, Medicaid expansion is um, an opportunity to close a coverage gap. Missouri has a situation um, from a ruling of the Supreme, the U.S. Supreme Court on the Affordable Care Act. Um, we, have, we had some of the lowest eligibility for Medicaid in the country. And then the Affordable Care Act set up a situation in which you could get subsidies to buy insurance on the marketplace beginning at 100% of the federal poverty level. The ACA was designed so that Medicaid would cover everybody below that. But when the US Supreme Court upheld the Affordable Care Act, it ruled that states could, but did not have to expand their Medicaid population and that the federal government would pay for that expanded coverage, but the the states still had to make that decision. Um, Missouri for the Missouri legislature for 10 years um, has resisted doing that. So in Missouri, you had a situation where um, you could make too much money to qualify for Medicaid, um, but not enough money to qualify for the subsidies in the Affordable Care Act. And there are a couple of nuances in that, depending on your, your situation, if you're pregnant or if you had a disability, but um, it created a gap where uh, an estimated over a quarter million Missourians were um, unable to get health insurance. It was a gap created by the refusal of the legislature to fully implement the Affordable Care Act and a gap that is now thankfully coming to a close. And to follow up on that, it means that for the first time now, a single person earning up to about $18,000 a year a family of three earning up to $30,000 a year will be able to get Medicaid coverage. And those are adults between 19 and 64. Those are the folks we talk of as being in the gap who can now get coverage. Okay, great. And and I think that's an important thing to reemphasize too. A lot of people who are opposed to this keep saying it's it, you know, it's coverage for people who don't want to work, but we're talking about people who earn an income that cannot get coverage. Um, And so this is literally coverage for those who are working but cannot afford 
uh, to to buy on the on the marketplace. Absolutely, I am part of a research team that uh, includes researchers from St. Louis U and Washington University, and we've looked at the people who are likely to enroll in Medicaid expansion. And by and large, they are working low-income jobs. We're talking retail, fast food, home health workers. Uh, who aren't offered employer-sponsored coverage, and this will give them the opportunity to get coverage through Medicaid. So let's turn to what happened uh, last week in the Missouri Supreme Court. Uh, What did they rule and why did they rule the way they did? Well, first, it was a unanimous ruling. It is what is called a per curiam decision, which means it is not one judge writing an opinion that other judges decide whether to sign on to. It is an opinion of the court as a whole. These are unusual that we see that kind of unanimity uh, on a court. So it is an important statement that one, the ballot initiative, the constitutional amendment is legal, is constitutional, is the law of the land and that the appropriations bill that the legislature passed this week is sufficient authority to to fund it. Uh, There are no problems. Time to move forward uh, and to begin enrolling people in Medicaid. So the state Supreme Court has ordered the issue back to the lower court to work out implementation. So what exactly does that mean? And what will the lower court be in charge of deciding in this step? This is typically what an appellate court does is send it down to the trial court to issue the order. Uh, And looking at the orders that have been requested by the plaintiffs in the case, it's a declaration um, that Medicaid expansion is legal, the law of the land, that it is illegal um, for the governor to, to block implementation. They have asked for an order that Medicaid expansion be effective as of July 1, 2021, which is the date that was in the ballot initiative and is now in our constitution, uh, to order the state to submit the necessary, they're called state plan amendments to health and human services, which is the paperwork that needs to be filed, and to issue a date that enrollment should begin. Um, we will see what that date is. My expectation is, is that it will be soon. If I was a betting woman, I would bet buyer before October 1. Um, but the hearing is set for the 6th of August. It's a very brief hearing. Uh, and I'm anticipating that in this time period before the hearing, there's some negotiating going on between the, the parties in the lawsuit. This thing on August 4th, this is not a relitigation of any of the facts sorry, August 6th, um, of any of the the facts around this. Um, The decision was quite clear, as uh, Professor Watson indicated, this is a unanimous decision. Um, I I will read one sentence from it that I think is important. DSS has the appropriation authority to provide services for all, all individuals eligible for Missouri Health Net, which is Medicaid including individuals eligible for coverage and services pursuant to Article 4, Section 36C, which was um, the expansion population done by the ballot initiative. So uh, the court is unanimous and agreed. There there is money, there's the authority there. Uh, The department does not need to create a new application or anything else. There are thousands of well-trained state workers who know how to do eligibility testing. 
um, providers who know to do this and um, they, they just, they, they need to start doing it. So um, I would certainly hope, uh, I will take a more optimistic approach as to how quickly um, yeah, okay. citizens are gonna be able to enroll uh, um, really anything beyond um, a week, 10 days, I think two weeks at the max after this um, would be an, an unnecessary delay. Um, the other thing that I think is important is that people should be eligible going back to July 1st. Um, so if people in, in this population who are going to be covered by Medicaid expansion have expenses between now and then um, that Medicaid should pay for, they should be eligible to have those expenses paid once they're enrolled. Um, I want to make thanks. sure I said that correctly, Sydney, if, if you want. Yeah, thanks for stressing it. That That's the significance of the court ordering that uh, expansion is effective, that July 1 date. Um, the way Medicaid works is if you apply October 23rd, uh, or the 23rd of any month, if you were eligible the beginning of the month, your coverage backdates to the beginning of the month. You may also get what's called retroactive coverage for three months before that. So if we're talking October, we're talking going back September, August to the 1st of July. Um, if you were income eligible and if you had unpaid if you have any medical bills that Medicaid covers, Medicaid will cover those bills. So it's really important uh, that we make sure people in this expansion group get the benefits of that coverage from that July 1 date. And I share your enthusiasm, Richard. Uh, I, I hope it is only two weeks. I'm saying worst case scenario. I like the fact that th there's nothing new that needs to be created here. You're, you're just allowing more people to fill out applications. It, it's not creating a new department. Or, or I think you had mentioned uh, before, Richard, uh, that you know this isn't like the, the kickoff of the ACA, which needed a new website and a new process. This is just allowing be more people to fill out a form. Correct. So all during the spring, uh, we in the legislature talked a lot about funding, appropriating enough money for expansion. Now that expansion has been ordered by the Supreme Court, but the legislature has not changed anything in the budget for this year. Is there a concern that there won't be enough money? What, what is the situation for funding? There's a boatload of money to pay for Medicaid expansion. Um, once we begin enrolling people, the state of Missouri becomes eligible for a, think of it as a signing bonus in the American Recovery Plan Act that Congress passed in March of 2021. It was a sweetener to encourage states like Missouri that had not started enrolling people to enroll them. Over the next two, first two years of Medicaid expansion, we we're looking at 1.2 billion additional dollars coming in, which is much more uh, than the most conservative estimate of what it would cost Missouri. And most of those estimates are we end up saving taxpayer money in Missouri once we expand Medicaid. So finding the money is not going to be a problem. I think there is some discussion about whether or not a supplemental budget will need to be yeah. called um, in order to just uh, uh, approve spending the money that um, Professor Watson is talking about. But um, sh she's right. I think the estimate was 
that this might cost the state $178 million. I think that was what the fiscal note had. Um, but she's right. We're talking about $1.2 billion um, coming from the federal government to help pay for that. So um, we, are, we are in a good spot. The Supreme Court case made very clear that the current funding for eligibility, um, the way funding works is, is you can't do funding for the Medicaid program and saying we want it to cover person X, but not person Y. And so the Supreme Court ruled, you know, our, our legislature just recently concluded budget bills have been signed in the last month, um, month and a half, and there's money there that um, can be spent to cover the eligible population. And very typically what the legislature does is come back very often in the next January session and pass this supplemental appropriation that Richard was referring to. Uh, and that, that gives the legislature the opportunity to accept all this federal money that's going to be coming to them. And it doesn't have to be done now. It doesn't have to be done before we open enrollment. It doesn't have to be done uh, in September or October and November. It can be done during the regular session in January. Okay, that seemed to be the information I had heard too, is that there's more than enough to get, get us through to the beginning of the next legislative session. Um, and then with the extra money coming in, it, it's basically also going to help us through like the next three years um, okay. because that that money is will, will cover those, that 10% that Missouri usually would usually have to pay for will be covered by that extra funds from the federal government. Absolutely. And what we will also start to see are the state savings in state revenue that comes from Medicaid expansion uh, when we are able to move people from state funded mental health and substance abuse programs into Medicaid paid for by a 90 percent federal match, when we are able to provide community-based services to people who don't have a source of insurance now who are covered by Medicaid, savings to the Department of Corrections um, for some inmates who will be able to have their hospital coverage, uh, hospital stays paid for by Medicaid now. There are lots of ways that Medicaid expansion is good for state budgets. And we've seen that in the 38 states that went before us. Okay. As we move forward uh, in the next couple of weeks, is there any role that the legislature or the governor has to have in, in implementing expansion? What, what is still out there for, for those organizations to do? The legislature, I would say the answer is no. Um, they have passed a budget. They've appropriated money for this program. Um, and so that needs that needs to happen. Um, I think on the on the governor side, I mean the the executive office. There's obviously things that the Department of Health and Senior Services and Department of Social Services steps that they need to take um, to start actively enrolling and processing mm -hmm. applications and, and making payments to providers to be able to do that. Um, but um, from a, a legislative um, standpoint, you know, the, the governor on a legislative standpoint, I would say the action, the action is no. Um, the governor does need to file a state plan amendment that he had done during the spring um, already. So it is, uh, it is, it is written, it should be ready to go. He just needs to resubmit it. 
Um, that does not need to be approved before the departments can start processing applications, making payments to providers, um, helping people sign up. But that is that is a step that uh, the governor's office will need to take, but it shouldn't hold up anything. Okay. And is, is there anything out there in a way that politicians could um, derail this at this point? Or, or is there anything we're worried about right now? Well, I don't know, Kevin. I mean, we, we've been at this for a long time. <laughs> um, I hate to speak, um, you know, conspiracy theories or, or new ideas into existence. Um, I think there are some people who are very steadfast in their opposition to, um, to this program, to the will of Missouri voters, to um, a ruling from the Missouri Supreme Court, I am sure we are going to hear opposition um, from people and we are going to hear people insist that they have a role to play or a power in this process that I think, frankly, the, the answer is that they really don't. <laughs> um, I often say to people, you know, you, you shouldn't depend on your opponent to tell you the truth or explain the rules of the game to you. So th this isn't going to have opponents go away. Um, I recognize that, but, um, but there's not particularly necessary steps for, you know, roles for them to play anymore. I, I apologize for my suspicion, but there have been too many monkey wrenches thrown into things that the voters have voted for in the last several years. So I, I'm just covering my bases. I fully anticipate that there will be a series of attacks and revenge on the voters and the people of this state for, um, for this happening. Um, we have seen dozens of bills each of the last two sessions attacking the 100-year-old constitutional provisions um, allowing for direct democracy in the initiative petition process in this state. I am sure some politicians who are upset that, um, you know, voters were able to um, circumvent them and fix problems that our politicians weren't fixing are, are going to fixate on that process and try to strip away uh, constitutional rights from Missourians. Um, I imagine there are probably uh, politicians who are upset about the nonpartisan court plan um, that Missouri has had for, again, over half a century. It's a nationwide model as to how to keep politics out of the courtroom. Um, I, but there are some politicians who want to inject politics into the courtroom and are, are going to seek this as an opportunity to do that. Um, I would point out in this unanimous decision, I mean, two of the judges in this unanimous decision were appointed by uh, Governor Parson. Uh, um, there, there, I believe out of seven justices, there are four appointed by Republican governors and three appointed by Democrats. It's a great bipartisan group of people and they came to a unanimous decision about what the what the law of this state is. Um, but that doesn't mean that um, some people aren't gonna try to, to break that system in the way that frankly uh, our, our politics is broken in the state. Okay, 
that's good and good for us to keep an eye out on in the future. Uh, Sydney, do you have any, uh, just a, a brief couple sentence explanation of what the Missouri court plan is and, and, and what that does? Uh, it is a process by which um, we don't elect judges here in Missouri, and many states that do elect judges have very politicized uh, elections. Instead, we use a process with a blue ribbon panel that goes through uh, solicit, uh, solicits applications, goes through those applications, finds highly qualified people for judgeships and presents a limited slate to the governor who makes the final selection. So it is a way that you find people with judicial temperament, judicial background, you can bring diversity to the court and diversity in many ways, uh, gender, race, backgrounds. Uh, and that's why Missouri is a national uh, leader here that's been copied by many, many states uh, and, and why we've had a very stable judiciary. And yes, it has been under attack because people would like to turn it into uh, a, a political uh, a political game, and we've been able to protect our judiciary from that by the nonpartisan uh, selection process. So uh, you mentioned a little bit before some of the extra benefits, economic benefits that Missouri is going to see. Uh, let's just go ahead and 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 go through those again. What what is this going to mean for the state as a whole, as opposed to just helping individuals? Well, if we're talking about um, state revenue. Um, one, one thing we know from the experience in other states is it state saves state tax dollars that are being spent on uh, state-funded programs now. Uh, it also creates jobs. Some of those jobs are in healthcare, whether it's hiring nurses and new doctors and new physical therapists, but also uh, construction workers when we expand clinics uh, to treat the 275,000 newly insured people we expect uh, through Medicaid. Uh, so there, there's a ripple effect in terms of in improving the economy. It helps stabilize rural hospitals. Uh, we've had a number of rural hospitals close over the last decade. Um, and part of the impact of Medicaid expansion is proportionately we will see more folks, more benefit in rural counties uh, of the state and see money to support those rural hospitals, which is really important in rural clinics. Um, so that's some of the benefit, some of the money benefit. Um, there's also a benefit uh, to health access. People with Medicaid coverage are able to see the doctor, get preventive screenings, find out if they've got high blood pressure, get the, the medication they need. And there are over 400 studies, many that have tracked Medicaid expansion in other states um, that, that show that this happens. And now that Medicaid expansion has had a few years in other states, we see population health improvements, um, that people are able to get those prescription drugs and take care of those hip replacements. And they're actually healthier now. They're able to go to work. They're able to keep work. It's, you know, it's, it's a win-win, uh, whether we're talking the economics, the public health, the personal health. Uh, it also helps people's finances. Uh, people in Medicaid expansion states are less likely to get evicted. 
Uh, they're they're able to to use their money for uh, you know, that tight money to pay that rent, pay that mortgage payment because they've got that Medicaid to help them with health care. So this brings us to the hopefully the end of a road of well over a decade of hard work uh, that's gone into bringing Medicaid expansion to Missouri. Uh, Richard, obviously, Missouri Jobs with Justice has been uh, at the heart of this effort. Who else has been in in the fight with you guys on this effort? Let's let's give some thank yous. Well, you know, I I would be remiss if I did not start uh, with my colleague on the show, Professor Watson, who's been a leader of Jobs with Justice and has helped uh, provide me the education and tools needed to go out and talk to people and explain this issue and, and build coalition. Um, around it, as well as training a number of great law students, including one who was uh, very involved in the successful argument of of this case. Um, But there are also, um, I mean, actually in Missouri, hundreds of groups that have been involved in this. Certainly some of our friends like Metropolitan Congregations United, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, Action St. Louis, the AFL-CIO, who put together a lot of the sweat equity and and boots on the ground to go out and gather signatures and have been doing organizing on this issue, sending hundreds if not thousands of people to the Missouri State Capitol for years and years. This this took a coalition that doesn't usually exist in Missouri. you know, we worked with the Missouri Hospital Association and the Chamber of Commerce and the Primary Care Association. There was a lot of people who uh, were willing to put aside differences on other issues and come together and make this make this happen in the state. And then I think I would I would finally want to lift up, um, you know, Stephanie, Melinda, and Autumn, three um, brave women, as well as Luke, mm-hmm. Luke Barber and Christine Cheney, who. Um, put their own stories out there. Um, It is important. These are not just legal semantics that we're talking about. These are real people with real situations. And, um, you know, they were the people who stepped up in really record time to move this through the court process um, and and help move this issue forward very quickly. Um, So those those individuals, as well as the legal team that represented them, Lowell Pearson, Chuck Hatfield, and, and um, Joel Ferber, who was another person that I would say is, has helped mm-hmm. um, on the organizing and helping clients with this for, for generations, <laughs> um, in fact, without dating Joel too much. But. I want to thank those 53% of Missourians who went to the the ballot box last August and voted for this, every one of them. So important in this, being part of that process uh, and casting that vote, which was so important. And that's a good yeah. reminder. And it's also a reminder too, that this this doesn't get passed just with Kansas City and St. Louis. This took a whole state yeah. effort to, to get this in, into place. Okay, great. Uh, Richard, as we close things out, uh, give us that contact information one more time for Missouri Jobs with Justice and, and how people can be involved. Sure. We encourage people to uh, check us out on www.mojwj.org. Um, you can sign up and get alerts from us there. You can follow us on Facebook, Missouri Jobs with Justice. Uh, Twitter is at MOJWJ. And uh, we are on Instagram as well, although I forget our Instagram handle or if that's even the right word to use for that. <laughs> 
for that, but you'll be able to find us on, on Instagram as well. And that's a great way to um, see what's cooking and uh, keep in touch with us. Okay, great. And uh, Sydney, any final thoughts from you before we close things out? Well, we don't have a lot of web numbers and in, in Instagram, but stay tuned. The St. Louis will be work university will be working with the St. Louis Regional uh, Health Commission, uh, help getting the word out and giving enrollment assistance as we sign up. We'll have a hotline uh, and really look forward to talking to a lot of people and helping them uh, be part of this. Okay, great. I want to thank our guests uh, today, Richard Von Glahn, Policy Director for Missouri Jobs with Justice, and Sydney D. Watson, the Bruce and Jane Roberts Professor of Law Director, Center for Health Law Studies at St. Louis University School of Law. To learn more about MCU, go to Metropolitan Congregations United's website at mcustlewis.org, and also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events. I'm Kevin Prang, and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Tune in again next time, and thank you for listening.